With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. internet radio show making a world a better place one show at a time the george water jr show is now on the air take it away dad all right everybody welcome to the george water jr show i'm black beautiful city beautiful town beautiful place to uh raise a family and that's what i'm doing and if you want to try it, you can too. It's a beautiful place. I know you hear a lot of negative things about it, especially pertaining to crime and all of that kind of thing. But, you know, um, <laughs> it's not Tombstone, okay? We're not Dodge City, right? Okay. Um, we have problems uh, just like any other state or city around America. You know, we, we have crime and uh, we have police for that. So it, it, Chicago is a beautiful city. It's a beautiful time. It's a beautiful town. And if you've been downtown to the Loop, if you visit Chicago at any point in time, and you know it's beautiful. We've got, we got the Bean. <laughs> we got uh, Grant Park. We got Millennium. Um, uh, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous city. The north side is beautiful. Um, parts of the south side and west side are just gorgeous. Wonderful people, friendly people, knowledgeable people, smart people. 
Uh, so, you know, Chicago is a great town, and I'm proud to be here. All right. Anyway, <clears throat> welcome to the show once again. And if you want to, uh, if, if you have something you want to talk about, if you have a book or something you want to push, uh, this is the show for that, okay? If you have a book or something, something is on your mind, you have to get it off your mind, you have a question for me, um, no problem. <laughs> okay. All right, let's get started. Let's, let's get started. Toys are us closing its doors. I mean, it's just... It's just awful that a lot of these uh, retailers are just pulling up stakes. They're closing down. The iconic toy retailer will shut or sell all of its 800 stores in the United States. It's, uh, I mean, every time I turn, around, turn on the computer or, or listen to some of the news, out here and and try to bring it to you if you haven't heard it yet. It's always dismal. It is always dismal. I mean, Sears, you hear Sears closing, uh, J.C. Penney, and it's just so uh, so many um, staples, uh, you know, closing. Yeah, I think a lot of these stores are closing because they fail to jump on board with internet online sales you know and because amazon is knocking it out of out of the park target stores are knocking it out of the park um they they didn't adjust to the times times are changing like bob dylan once said times are changing and you have to change with the times or you're going to get swallowed up and i think a lot of these stores that are closing their doors permanently uh, got caught up in uh, the changing of times and they themselves refused to change and go along with what's uh, the internet age and they've got swamped. They've gotten swamped. So, but it is sad to see all of these stores closing, but I don't think that's going to uh, make much of a dent in taking America down, I, I really don't think so, uh, because people still love to shop. We still love to shop. I, I still love to go out and do shopping. I love shopping. I've, I've always, always loved to shop. Even when I was a uh, uh, child, a teenager, a young man, I love to shop. I mean, I just love getting out there, spending money if I had it. I'm pretty sure a lot of you out there, a lot of my listeners out there, and people you know love to shop. So the, if someone loves to shop, I mean, especially you're going to be going out to a store, you know, you're not going to shopping online is so much um, different than shopping in person at a store. If I had my way, I would probably shop at a store more than so online, because when you're shopping at a store, when you're doing your shopping at a store, you get you're getting to see your purchases. You're getting to touch and feel them. You know, uh, online, you're not doing that. You're just taking a chance. You know, I mean, you're gonna, if you're going to buy an, a guitar amplifier or a guitar or, or whatever you're going to buy, and once you get it, you find out, wow, I got to send this back. It doesn't fit right. It doesn't play right. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. But if you was in the store and you uh, checked it out, uh, you wouldn't have to return it because a lot of things online are deceptive. <laughs> 
I mean, you, you go buy something online, you think you're buying something that's, that's sizable. And once you get it, it, once it comes to your door, you find out that, damn, this thing is small. I thought it was big, you know, a lot larger. But, uh, that, but that's, to me, is one of the advantages of shopping in, in a store more so than online because you get to see what you're, you're buying. You get to touch and feel uh, what you're buying. And you're going to make sure that what you're buying is what you want. Online, you can, I mean, they can have, um, don't get me wrong. I think online shopping is great. I've done a lot of it. But a lot of times I just take chances with what they send me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I, I guess what I'm saying is that there's, the stores uh, are vital to our community economic and upkeep of our communities and for them to close down and shut down and become nothing in the neighborhood that brings down some of the uh, uh, value of that community because that store is now no longer there so I, I i feel for a lot of people who are upset about stores closing down in their neighborhoods because of no sales or um or the internet has just to the max where uh, they find themselves not, not being able to uh, compete. And um, it, as I've said before, I think a lot of these stores should, should have probably just fallen in line with, with Amazon. Amazon is the monster. I mean, it's out there. Um, I do a lot of shopping online. I'm pretty sure a lot of other people do a lot of shopping online. My family do a lot of shopping online. My son um my ex-girlfriend i mean she does a lot of shopping online and and um we just need stores we just need a lot of stores we need stores around to uh to um go to you know not always online but hey the bottom line is profit the bottom line is revenue if they're not making a profit, if they're not bringing in enough revenue, they have to close. Or or they have to just bite the bullet and file for bankruptcy. You know, but it, it's sad that uh, all of these stores, toys, toys R Us, uh, closing. Uh, you know, I mean, back in the day, <laughs> Toys R Us was the store for buying, you know, toys for children. I mean, uh, people flocked to those stores that, you know, children, you know, were, were plentiful. And um, it's breaking news that uh, they're closing. So, so Sears, I mean, you got Sears, you got uh, so many other stores. I had a list of uh, stores that were closing. Find that list. Sarah, can you, can you find, okay. Uh, that it's a list where, uh, uh, a bunch of stores, a lot of stores are just closing in the United States. I put it somewhere. Thank you so much. Um, if you find that, if you find it, if you can't find it, it's okay. But anyway, um, it's it's just heartbreaking that a lot of these stores are just pulling up stakes because of the internet. The internet is is the elephant in the room. I mean, I mean, you know, what are, what are we gonna have? Every store is gonna be closing. Every store is going to close <laughs> because of the internet, and the internet is just getting stronger. You know, it's just getting stronger. People are buying online, and they're not ashamed to do it. I prefer to I, personally. I prefer to walk into a store, 
uh, where I can feel and touch an object and make sure it's the right size and, and, and what I want. Uh, but sometimes you take a chance online. And then sometimes you get to, when you order something online, it's not what you thought it was. You have to send it back. And suddenly the the, the store or the uh, place you send someone, they, they don't have any kind of a return policy. Uh, a, a lot of items you try to return that you uh, purchase online, you're going to have, they're going to give you a big, big uh, problem. They're going to give you, a, you know, they're going to give you a big problem and they're not going to want to take it back. They figure you damaged it and they go, they're figuring you're trying to get over, you're trying to, or you're trying to be uh, unethical about, will not accept returns. Once you buy something, you buy it, you know, but if you go to a store, walk in a store and, you know, you know, you know what you're going to get because you're going to be, you know, observing, you know, touching and feeling and see if it's right for you or, or your home or your apartment or wherever you are. Um, it's just, yeah, um, the iconic retailer, Toys R Us, will shed or sell all of its uh, almost 800 stores in the United States. They source, okay, about three, 33,000 jobs in the United States are at risk. And that's another thing about these stores closing, jobs, upending jobs. And that's, and that is um, messing around with the economy. The announcement makes the end for a company that sold toys to millions of American kids uh, for a half a century. Wow. And this is devastating. I'm pretty sure it's going to be devastating for some kids, too. Some kids who probably are adults now, but, uh, you know, they have their own kids. And, you know, it's going to be a a mess. Walmart, Target, and other big box stores that sold aisles of toys and everything else to to began to erode its dominance. Okay, so so in in other words, Toys R Us was... um, It was... uh, not doing as well as toys are it was not doing as well as walgreens and target and all that kind of thing uh people were shopping more at target and walgreens for walgreens I, <laughs> well it says walgreens i always thought of walgreens as a place where you go get your medicine your over over the counter medicine but uh, they walgreens sell toys yeah they do sell toys I wouldn't go buy my cat, my child's toy at Walgreens, though, you know. But anyway, and the emergence of Amazon sped its demise. Yeah, Amazon, Walmart, Talk, Target, all of these places uh, is the cause of Toys R Us uh, going out of business, closing almost 800 stores. Wow affecting 33,000 employees across the United States. Okay, Toys R Us filed for bankruptcy, hoping to shed debt and reinvest in its stores. I guess they changed their mind, probably, but the turnaround didn't work. In January, the company said it would close 182 stores across the United States. It is sad. It is totally sad. And but you know you have to do what you have to do. Uh, 
I think filing bank filing bankruptcy is pretty good if you want to get out get out of debt. That's the only thing it, it's good for, but it will never um, take the place of 182 stores. Filing bankruptcy is just getting out of debt. And uh, that's what they're trying to do, get out of debt, even though the stores are closing and will close. All right, um, you've been listening to the George Wanda Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. It says here on my screen that Titus S. Macmillan, Ph.D., uh, is scheduled to be on the show today. All right, we will be right back. If Okay. All right, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. As we were stating, <laughs> Toys Out Us, it is closing. George Carlin on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Notice we no longer have old people in this country. They're all gone now, replaced by senior citizens. Somehow we wound up with millions of these unfortunate creatures known as golden agers or mature adults. These are cold, lifeless, antiseptic terms, typically American, all ways of sidestepping the fear of aging. And it's not difficult to understand the fear of aging. It's natural, and it's universal. No one wants to get old. No one wants to die. But we do. We die. And we don't like that. So we shade the truth. I started doing it when I reached my 40s. I'd look in the mirror at that time and think, well, I guess I'm getting older. That sounded a little better than old. Sounded like it might even last a bit longer. But people forget that older is comparative, and they use it as an absolute. She's an older woman. Oh, really? Older than what? Than she used to be? Well, yeah. So? People think getting old is bad because they think being old is bad. But you know something? Being old is just fine. In fact, it can be terrific. And anyway, it's one of those things you don't get to choose. It's not optional. But that insufferable group among us known as baby boomers, ages 42 through 59 as of 2005, are beginning to get old, and they're having trouble dealing with that. Remember, these baby boomers are the ones who gave us this soft, politically correct language in the first place. So rather than admit they're getting old, the baby boomers have come up with a new term to describe themselves as they approach the grave. They don't care for middle-aged. So instead, get this, folks, instead they claim to be pre-elderly. Don't you love that? Pre-elderly. It's a real word. You don't hear it a lot, but it's out there. The boomers claim that if you're between 50 and 65, you're pre-elderly. But I'd be willing to bet that in 2011, when they begin turning 65, they will not be calling themselves elderly. I have a hunch they'll come up with some new way of avoiding reality. And I have a suggestion for them. They should call themselves the pre-dead. It's a perfect term because for them, it's accurate and it's highly descriptive. By the way, those ever-clever boomers have also come up with a word to describe the jobs they feel are most suitable for retired people who wish to keep working. They call these jobs elder-friendly. 
Isn't that sad? God, that's just really, really sad. And so, to sum it up, we have these senior citizens. And whether I like that phrase or not, unfortunately, I got used to it. And I no longer react too violently when I hear it. But there is still one description for old people that I'll never accept. That's when I hear someone describe an old guy as being, for instance, 80 years young. Even though I know it's tongue-in-cheek, it makes my skin crawl. It's overly cute and precious, and it's an evasion. It's junk language. On CBS's 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl, God help her, actually referred to some old man as being a 90-something. Please, Leslie, I need a small personal break here. One last pathetic example in this category. On the radio, I heard Matt Drudge actually refer to people of age. And he wasn't being sarcastic. He said the West Nile virus is a particular threat to people of age. Poor Matt. Apparently he's more fucked up than he seems. Now, going to an adjacent subject, one unfortunate fact of life for many of these 80 or 90-somethings is that they're forced to live in places where they'd rather not be. Old people's homes. So what name should we use for these places where we hide our old people? When I was a little boy, there was a building in my neighborhood called the Home for the Aged. It had a copper sign on the gate. Home for the Aged. It always looked deserted. I never saw anyone go in. Naturally, I never saw anyone come out, either. Later, I noticed people started calling those places nursing homes and rest homes. Apparently, it was decided that some of these old people needed nurses, while others just needed a little rest. What you hear them called now is retirement homes, or long-term care facilities. There's another one of those truly bloodless terms, long-term care facilities. But actually, it makes sense to give it a name like that, because if you do, you make it a lot easier for the person you're putting in there to acquiesce and cooperate with you. I remember old people used to tell their families, Whatever you do, don't put me in a home. Please, don't put me in a home. But it's hard to imagine one of them saying, Whatever you do, don't put me in a long-term care facility. So calling it that is really a trick. Come on, Grandpa, it's not a home. It's a long-term care facility. By the way, while we're on this subject of the language of getting old, I want to tell you something that happened to me in New York on a recent evening. I was standing in line at the Carnegie Deli to pay my check, and there was a guy ahead of me who looked like he was in his 60s. He gave the cashier a $10 bill, but apparently it wasn't enough. When the cashier mentioned it to him in a nice way, he said, Oh, I'm sorry, I guess I had a senior moment. And I thought how sad that was. To blame a simple mistake on the fact that you're in your 60s, even if you're just sort of joking. As if anyone would think a 20-year-old couldn't make the same mistake. I only mention this because it's an example of how people can brainwash themselves by adopting popular language. I wanted to pull them aside and say, Listen, I just heard you refer to yourself as a senior, and I wanted to ask, were you by any chance a junior last year? Because if you weren't a junior last year, then you're not a senior this year. I wanted to say it, but I figured, why would you listen to me? After all, I'm still a freshman.
So far, the only person who's given a full account of what the president said yesterday is the one Democrat who was president, who was present, Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, a leading advocate for Dreamers and other immigrant groups. In a series of press appearances this morning, Durbin recounted exactly what happened inside the Oval Office. The president came into the Oval Office and Senator Lindsey Graham and I made our presentation. As Senator Graham made his presentation, the president interrupted him several times with questions and in the course of his comments uh, said things which were hate-filled, vile, and racist. We have a group that have temporary protected status in the United States because they were the victims of crises and disasters and political upheaval. The largest group is El Salvador, and the second is Honduran, and the third is Haitian. And when I mentioned that fact to him, he said, Haitians, do we need more Haitians? And then he went on when we started to describe the immigration from Africa that was being protected in this uh, bipartisan measure. That's when he used these vile and vulgar comments, calling the nations they come from shitholes. The exact word used by the president, not more, not just once, but repeatedly. My colleague, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, spoke up and made a direct comment on what the president said. I was very proud of him. It took courage for what he did. And um, I made my own comments in response to it. But for him to confront the president, as he did, uh, literally sitting next to him, took extraordinary political courage, and I respect him for it. He said, put me down for wanting more Europeans to come to this country. Why don't we get more people from Norway? That was exactly what the president said. I'm joined now by Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters of California. So, Congresswoman, you have Dick Durbin saying that when uh, immigration from Haiti or the TPS situation from Honduras and Haiti and El Salvador was described, Donald Trump said, Haitians, do we need more Haitians uh, on the question of Africa? He called those nations shitholes. That was exact word used by the president, per Lindsey Graham. And then uh, the last bit here, Donald Trump saying, put me down for wanting more Europeans to come for this country. Your thoughts, Congresswoman? Well, you know, I have called him uh, what I know him to be for a long time. Uh, remember some time ago I called him scumbag? Uh, I've called him a racist, deplorable, despicable, uh, added to what others are calling him, a moron, ignorant, on and on and on. The United States of America is represented by the most despicable human being that could possibly ever walk the earth. I don't know when Americans are going to tire of this lying man. Uh, it has been documented that he has told over 2,001 lies since he has been in office. He name calls. He basically disparaged a United States congresswoman and basically said she would do anything for a contribution. Talked about, as you know, during the campaign, grabbing women by their private parts. What more do we need to see or hear from this racist man? Not only is he racist, uh, he is an embarrassment uh, for this country. Yeah, Our I allies agree. are quickly moving away from him. What are we waiting for? He is basically bringing this country down. And for all of those Republicans on the other side who stand with him, who claimed to have been patriotic, they are not patriotic. They are with not the guts to stand up or they join him as racist. And so I 
I have known this. Uh, and I've called for his impeachment yeah, over also. and over again. I've been criticized for it, but I don't know what else we need to see about him. I know a lot of people are saying, let's see what Mueller is going to do. Is he going to connect the dots? Well, this man has obstructed justice right before our very eyes. We keep hearing about all of these meetings and connections with the Russians uh, by his family and others. I simply believe that not only has he colluded, and of course he has obstructed justice, but his character is such that the United States and the citizens of this country, rather, should not be willing to tolerate. He's a bad image for our children, and he should be impeached. We should move him out of office. The American citizens who are fed up with him are looking for Congress to take responsibility and do what we must do and impeach him. Get rid of him. Get him out of here. And, and you know, Congressman, you, you hit on a point, because when you say, how much more can we tolerate, and, you know, I think all those of us who are in this business hear from people all the time, what can we do? And it, the, the truth is that only Congress can rein in a president of the United States and that impeachment or censure has to begin in the House of Representatives. I want to play you two pieces of sound from the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, and the way he reacted to Donald Trump's yep. racism back on the campaign trail and the way that he reacted to what we just learned Claiming that the president said um, in the Oval Office. And this was, these are those two things. And this was, the yes. first one is June 2016. Here you go. Claiming a person can't do their job because of their race is sort of like the textbook definition of a racist comment. I think that should be absolutely disavowed. It's absolutely unacceptable. First thing that came to my mind was very unfortunate, um, unhelpful. Um, whether you're coming from Haiti, we've got great friends from Africa in Janesville uh, who are doctors who are just incredible citizens. And uh, I just think it's important that we celebrate that. First piece of sound was when uh, Donald Trump disparaged Judge Curiel, saying that he's Mexican, therefore he can't judge uh, a case against Donald Trump. What do you make of, of, of the declination of Paul Ryan's outrage from June of 2016 to today? Well, evidently, uh, he is not a real leader. Uh, and I wish I could say he didn't have the courage of his convictions, because I don't know if he has any. Uh, but I know this. History will not be kind to him, uh, to these Republicans, and to those who are basically standing by him, embracing him. As far as I'm concerned, they're confirming uh, that they're just as bad as he is. And so for Paul Ryan, uh, yep. who is supposed to be a leader, who, you know, occupies the speakership uh, for the Congress, for the House of Representatives, he is irresponsible. <laughs> he is not providing leadership. He's not doing his job. We need to get rid of him also. And, and, and Congresswoman John Lewis, Congress and John Lewis, of course, civil rights legend John Lewis, is not going to be going, he says, to the State of the Union. Are you going to go? Oh, no. You know, I didn't go to the inauguration. I didn't go to, um, you know, the joint session that was held after that. I don't intend to go to this one. Why would I take my time to go and sit and listen to a liar, to someone who lies in the face of facts, who's someone who can change their tune day in and day out. What does he have to say that I would be interested in? I don't trust him. I don't appreciate him. And I wouldn't waste my time sitting in that house listening to what he has to say. He does not deserve my attention. Congresswoman Maxine Waters. When we think of the advances we've made, it is no surprise that so many of us are utterly devastated by the election of Donald Trump. I have been very clear about my opposition to this president. 
And everyone knows what I believe. I believe he is one of the most dishonorable, deceitful, and despicable people ever to hold public office. He has undermined the rule of law. He has isolated the United States allies. He has decimated our country's standing and leadership around the world. He has empowered and emboldened white nationalists, racist criminals, and con men just like himself. He flew to Puerto Rico after the island was ravaged by a hurricane, insulted San Juan's mayor, and proceeded to throw paper towels at our fellow Americans who are to this day still trying to recover from that storm. He endorsed a pedophile that ran for the United States Senate and defended wife beaters on his White House staff. This man lies on a daily basis. And for all of the people and institutions he has insulted over the last two years, the only person he will not offend or criticize is Vladimir Putin. A brutal dictator who does not share our nation's interests around the world. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Maxine Waters, and she really, really gets to the point. All right. All right, the George Wilder Jr. Show is on the air, broadcasting live from the city of Chicago. It is a beautiful city, folks. It's a beautiful town. And uh, it's a, a place where I am proud to say I live. Yeah, truly, I live. And uh, it's beautiful. And with daylight savings time, it, <laughs> the days are starting to last longer. And that's why I was saying the other night on the show that they should really, really uh, – in this daylight saving time and let it be let the days last longer all year round 
You with me? <laughs> okay. You with me on that? All right. I can hear you. All right. You're on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Go right ahead. Hello. How are you doing? My name is Dr. Titus McMillan. Yeah, Dr. S. Uh, Dr. Titus S. McMillan, Ph.D. That's correct. Oh, man, we, man, we weren't expecting you <laughs> on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thank you for coming on. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Ph.D. degree Titus S. McMillan on the George Wilder Jr. Show. All right, tell, give us a little bit of your bio and tell us uh, about uh, what you're doing. Well, um, actually, I thought my wife said that, but um, basically about me, I am. A, yeah, yeah, I know. But you know what? You know what? Uh, I know a lot of people who want to be on the show. They send me their, they send me all their bio and all of their uh, press releases. A lot of time I read them. A lot of times I do not read them, but it's good to send them because when guests come on the show, I like to uh, uh, just ad lib uh, uh, and just be spontaneous instead of going through a, oh, a, a list of what they send me. All right. I, I love that, man. And now you you got my ears on focus. So here I am. Um, I'm Dr. Okay. Millen. I'm a transformational <laughs> leader. Uh, I believe that man has the ability to be restored both inside and out. But there are sometimes we live in the place called unconsciousness, which means we're unaware of the royalty and the priesthood that we live in or purchased by. And we have a standard that we sometimes negate because we don't realize the reflections that we give. So through my life, I think I matriculated through, you know, sexual abuse, um, matriculated yeah. through domestic violence and all these other things that happened in my early childhood, um, you know, molestation by family members and different things of that nature. I never knew it was going to put me on a path that we have me meet psychology face to face and redefine what psychology says is appropriate for human beings. Because what I often tell yeah. individuals is you can't have a holistic theology. I'm sorry, excuse me. You can't have a holistic psychology unless you have a holistic theology that gives a substratum for the man to become who he's supposed to be. Now, with that being said, what I have to also tell you is that man on his own uh, struggles with different inferiority complexes because we don't remember the person we were, the person we're becoming, and the person that we have to ultimately fight. And that's where the psychology piece comes back to take us to help us to understand that theological premise. So as, as, as I stated before, uh, I am a graduate of St. James Theological Seminary, a diplomat student. Um, I have a master's and a Ph.D. Uh, diplomat in um, counseling psychology um, and clinical psychology. Wow, you can – wow, uh, and, and you've done all of this. You've taken all those classes and courses just so you can help other people and try to understand other people and try to understand how some of these occurrences go on um, through psychology by have you um uh talked to people and tr to try to find out uh what really is domestic violence and why it occurs and who uh who are the people who uh perpetrate this kind of thing 
Well, and actually, Alex, let me just step back. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't okay. my intention to, 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 to study psychology. It wasn't my intention at all. Um, the, the way that it happened, I uh, started in ninth grade, which unbeknownst to me, that was probably the only class that I did pass was psychology uh, because it was intriguing. <laughs> um, but yeah. what happened to me, I started to notice that my own nature uh, had this ability to uh, always want to help people. Um, didn't yeah. understand that process, but at the same token, I was wrapped up in my own dysfunction and isolated from the realities of life and the you know the ability to live life in its fullness. Um, yeah, that that eluded me because everything about life was distorted. I mean, my mother abandoned me at age four, put me on the step for diapers to pick me up. Then my grandmother, she popped up a couple of hours before they got there. She snatched me up and, you know, took me to someplace. And I grew up there, and that wasn't great because what I understood later on is she was an alcoholic, a functional alcoholic at best. Um, but then all these other family histories and secrets were coming out, you know, dealing with witchcraft and all these other crazy things. Um, so I was just in a conundrum of a predicament, and... I think the way I got into psychology and, 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 and therapy and all these other things is because I was trying to stop hurting. Uh, that's the reason why I think I stuck with it, because before that, everything else was failing. Uh, but I was trying to solve the pain that I was experiencing uh, because no one else could tell me how yeah. to stop it from hurting. Yeah, yeah. And so you're trying to take your pain and your experience from your childhood or early adulthood and uh, uh, try to help other people who might have gone through similar situations through psychology? Well, um, I, I believe that, you know, psychology is, is the, the standard of understanding the dynamics of the working mind. I, I, what, yeah. what I have to say about that is that, you know, um, I've also been in ministry for 23 years. Um, and again, mm -hmm. th th there has to be a balance so of you, psychological. Go ahead. So you also uh, apply some of that, some, some sort of, uh, some kind of spirituality to that, uh, the dynamics of the mind. Well, in fact, I, I, I attribute a lot of it theological aspect to the psychology yeah. because psychology in itself will not help you um, because that is a theory and, and uh, a way of working with something you didn't create. Theology mm -hmm. tells you the basic creations and then we can get to the root cause in the psychology that creates the dynamic. <laughs> well, you're teaching me something. <laughs> Titus S. McMillan on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Titus, have you written about this? Um, in fact, I'm actually working on a book called Right Now, I Am, um, uh -huh. but I, I do have a book that I've written about my own story and, and how I've overcome, and it's called Healing Inside of Me, The Courage to Win Again. Um, it, again, that's Healing Inside of Me, The Courage to Win Again. Um, and basically what I'm telling you is my story and how I achieved um, the freedom to be and accept as well as get away from the rejection, the bondage, um, the, the the open wounds that were plaguing me because, you know, and up until I was about maybe 
30. My mother was the basis for every failed relationship that I ever had. Uh, and I didn't realize that based upon her rejection, my life would be dysfunctional and I would be rejected, whether it was by an individual, my own thought process, my own um, self-destructive uh, self-destructive behavior, or just my emotional abandonment. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's my book, Killing Inside of Me, The Courage to Win Again. Yeah, uh, all of this sounds so powerful, man. I mean, I think uh, you have a great story here, and it's 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 compelling. Write this stuff down, um, publish it, get it out there so people can read it, and and and, and all about you and your story because I'm pretty sure a lot of people can probably um, relate. Yeah. Well, I find that it's 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 very relatable, and it's not written in any specific. Uh, digest. It's 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 really specifically yeah. written yeah. so that anyone can digest. Right, right. It's 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 simple. You know, it's simple. And how did you finally finally break away from all this um, negativity, all of this uh, um, destruction in your life to to be the successful person? I, I'm assuming that you are. Well, successful, yes. Um, wealthy, absolutely. Rich uh, is, is a myth. But what what I will tell you is I had to have a conversation with all of me, and that's three individuals yeah. in personality. So to be able to first break the cycle, I had to confront it, and that confrontation happened on multiple levels. But as being able to have an identity. Identity was the was the worst part of my life because I was absent of anything referring to recognizable or attained as identity. Identity was the missing culprit in my life. There was no identity. Um, I was just birth. Um, at birth. Okay. Uh, so if there was no identity, how? Excuse me. If there was no identity, then how did you find out who you truly were? Well, I had to start searching, um, and in, in yeah. search, um, it was it was a time to reflect back on all of the experiences I've had. You know, I, I, ha I wasn't a virgin since I was five years old. Um, the first time I was molested was by Cindy. She was 26. And, and, yeah, and, that's, and, that's, you know, I, I was yeah, going to say that's so, powerful you know, stuff, but, you know, so. Well, you know, I mean, but, but, but then again, you, we talk about identity crisis. And the fact of the yeah. matter is the identity that was given to me is this is what human beings do. So when the first time my okay. uncle raped me, it was another opportunity as an identity and an experience because this is what human beings do. So for me, it led me into a cycle of not understanding the capacity of love or what love was because if this is love, it hurts. And secondly, if yeah. this is what human beings do, and my uncle is doing this to me, but it feels, you know, uncomfortable to me, and that uncomfortable is putting it lightly, but it's uncomfortable to me, then maybe I'm a woman, or maybe I'm just gay, or maybe I just, you know, I don't know what I am. So you have identity crisis absence the identity. 
because that leads you into all other cycles of, you know, the realities of I was born a boy, I'm becoming a man, but there's flaw in my man presence because yeah. no other man has deemed me to be man and has blessed me or even told me what a man is supposed to do, what a man is supposed to be, how to make sure that I am a man that can be um, um, an asset to society. All right, tell me about uh, Ph.D. Titus S. S. McMillan in 2018. How are you doing in 2018? How are you? I, I do know that a lot of the things that you're talking about, you could never forget any of these things. They're going to be with you forever. They're going to, every now and then, you're going to break down over them. But you have to kind of pick yourself back up. I mean, you're, you are a Ph.D. psychology. I mean, you're into all of that. Uh, but still in all, you're human. And these these memories are going to keep coming back and coming back. It's going to be like, you know, uh, uh, haunting you throughout your life. Uh, some of these memories. So, so let me address let me address that. Um, they they will be things. They will be things that I can't forget. And that's that's the premise. And the reason why I say if you go to, you know, the the, the traditional psychology, you have to understand something. All things are within my power based upon the strength that Christ has given to me. I can take yeah. those thoughts and arrest them because they no longer have the sting or the power or the authority to put me in bondage. I now have arrested them, but I take the resource that they gave to me and provide to me, and I take those resources to other people who have, who have struggled with depression, who have struggled with identity crisis, who are, you know— they're deemed to be bipolar, but there's more to it than just being bipolar. Because a person who's become schizophrenic, they're not acting out based upon schizophrenic. They're acting out on pain and behaviors that they've learned to cope. Excuse me, that they've learned to use to cope. But the fact, you know, um, a person um, that that, uh, for instance, I, I got a brother that I'm talking to. And the wealth that's in this young man, I don't think people can look at him and see all the creative ability or the wealth that he brings to society. But he, too, might yeah. be in a situation where pain has tried to attack him. But today he's going to find out that pain, it hurts, but it's the key that you need to unlock your destiny and provide the truth to everybody that said you were going to fail. I don't see a failure in him. I see the ability to take his life and put it on a platform that will change yeah. the dynamic yeah. of society. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Titus S. McMillan on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Can you give us a website or, 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 or some information where people who listen to the show might want to contact you to find out more information or to, you know, things like that? Uh, you can find me at healinginsideofme.com. That's healinginsideofme.com. You can find me there. Um, and, you know, I'm, you just put my name in, Titus S. McMillan, and you can find me everywhere in the country. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. That's great. Anywhere in the country. Right. Okay. You talked about a book earlier. Is there any place, uh, a book early, is there any place where we can go find it and check it out? Um, absolutely. You can get the book directly from my website or you can get it from okay. Amazon.com. It's in Barnes and Nobles. It's, it's in most um, popular bookstores. Oh, great. Wonderful. I want to thank you for being on the show. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a link of the show. So maybe you can put it on your website, the link of the show where you're on, where you're talking right now about an hour or so. Then you can take the link and put it on your show and the, you know, your fans or, or, or your, your, your friends, the fans can come by and listen to you on this show on your website. How's that? Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Thank you for coming on. Bye-bye. All right, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. <laughs> Making the world a better place, <laughs> one show at a time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now, the George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. <laughs> All right. The New York Times has called the Pennsylvania House special election in favor of candidate Connor Lamb, Democrat Connor Lamb, saying that the Democrats' lead appears to be insurmountable. And the Republicans are pissed. <laughs> they are they they want I'm hearing now that the Republicans they, they either want to recount and it's not gonna happen, it costs too much money. Uh the Democrat is clearly the winner, but the Republicans are, are upset. I mean, their guy lost uh, uh, by a few votes, I'm hearing, by a few hundred votes. And the New York Times is saying that it's that was totally insurmountable, that he can't win. But because it's so close, the Republicans may want to recount. But I'm hearing, I was reading somewhere where they wanted to confiscate the voting machines. These guys are crazy. <laughs> I mean, you can't take the that's the, those voting machines belong to that uh, city, that town, that community, that state. You cannot 
uh, obviously they're going to try and go to court to get that. You know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Lamb had declared victory in the race to fill the seat of in the Pennsylvania district earlier, earlier, early Wednesday morning, early Wednesday morning. But most media outlets have yet to call the tight race. That means it could it could still be up in the air, but but after two days, I mean they've been at this for two days, uh, trying to figure out the winner. I'm pretty sure. And uh, Connor Lamb, the Democrat in Pennsylvania, he's he's uh, he's been leading. I mean he's been leading. Lamb currently holds a less than 700 vote lead over Republican Rick Saccone. Uh, obviously. The Republicans are now bashing Rick Saccone, saying that he was an awful candidate. And he, he, I mean, studying him for myself, he he actually looks like one of, uh, an awful uh, candidate. He he was going there to ass, and now he won't get that far because he's lost to a Democrat. And and they, the Republicans should be afraid. They should be really, really afraid because these special elections around the country have been going to Democrats, especially in these districts where Donald Trump won. This tells you here that people want to take back their country. People are tired of the mess that's going on in Washington and in Congress. And it is a mess. Um, and uh, the Republicans are, are, are they should be uh, worried, especially going into the 2018 elections, going into 2018 elections, they should be very, very worried, you know, because even Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz of, uh, I believe, of Texas, I mean, he, he, he's echoed a lot of things that a lot of people are saying that there will be a blue wave. Republicans will lose the House and the Senate. And if Trump is still in office, he will be impeached. And they know this. Paul Ryan would be out on his ass, he deservingly so. Mitch McConnell may be out on his ass, or he will be in the minority. And there's people talking about Nancy Pelosi. I mean, I love Nancy Pelosi. I think she she's a great speaker of the House, and she's in the minority. I mean, you know, you know, she's in the minority. Uh, the the Democrats do not control anything. She's in the minority, but she's still the speaker of the House when it comes to Democrats. Paul Ryan is the speaker of the House when it comes to Republicans, and Republicans control the House of Representatives. Uh, Nancy Pelosi does not. But if Paul Ryan, but if Paul Ryan loses. I mean, put it this way, if there is a blue tsunami, if there is a blue wave and Republicans win the House, the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., Nancy Pelosi, if she's still in office, she will become the Speaker of the House in the majority. However, a lot of us feel, and I totally, totally feel this, that Nancy Pelosi should move aside she should move aside she should i mean nancy pelosi is 77 maybe 78 79 years old she's had her time let someone come in there young ambitious talented uh creative 
and take over as Speaker of the House. Uh, I think she's great. I think what she's done is beautiful, uh, but I just think she's too, she's getting, uh, she's too old. But I'm trying to say it nicely, but there's no nice way of saying that she's too old. Um, 78, 79 years old. I mean, that's, that's too old. I mean, she should spend her, she should spend the rest of her days, her life on earth with her grandchildren, great grandchildren, you know, out, you know, out in the, on the beach or in the park or something, watching the rain fall or something. Uh, she's just too, too, um, she's too old for, uh, for a lot of us. There's nothing wrong with getting new blood, young blood, uh, you know, and I, and believe me, I'm saying nothing whatsoever against um, Nancy Pelosi. I think Mitch McConnell, his old ass should re resign or, or retire. He looks like he's about 89. He should leave. Uh, I mean, these people get these jobs in politics and they want to stay forever. Forever. You can't do that. You know, a lot of them do. I mean... Here in Chicago, in Illinois, we've got uh, Michael Madigan. He's about 75 years old, 78, 79 years old, and he doesn't want to give up his position. What is it about these jobs in Washington and in all of these other state houses where these people don't want to resign and give up, give it up, even when they're too old to do the job? They, <laughs> I guess it's just hard to relinquish power. Getting back to Nancy Pelosi, though, I mean, I think that, you know, she should, will she? I don't think so. She doesn't, it doesn't seem like she uh, is going to give up her job. I mean, I mean, she's, she's been hearing it from all sides about her being too old and to step aside and, and give it to some young buck. Uh, she can even give it, give it to another woman, a younger woman who knows what she's doing, <laughs> you know? And um, I, I, I love her. Like I said, I love Nancy Pelosi, but I just think she's just an, outlived her usefulness, especially as 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 um, a House member. She should just live out her last. She don't want to die on the floor of the Congress. Yeah, uh, at least I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do that. She needs to retire. She needs to go and enjoy her life. Get rid of all of that stress. I mean, running. I mean, being in politics and in the house and the head of the, um, of a minority party. I think that would be kind of stressful, especially when you're dealing with these rotten Republicans. I, I think that's kind of. Uh, anyway, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I I don't think she's going to go anywhere because it's in her. I mean, being in politics and being in the position that she's in, um, it, it's in her blood. I mean, it's what she does. It, it, I mean, she's going to do it until she can't do it anymore. And I, I think that's a bad part of it. I mean, you don't want to do something until you can't do it anymore. But a lot of people do, you know, a lot of people do. So if we if we end up, if, if the Republicans lose the House and the Senate and the Democrats take it, we uh, and we get Nancy Pelosi as the head of the House, we just have to deal with it, you know. I mean, she's she's smart, she's intelligent, she's bright, um, and uh, we just have to deal with it. But in in retrospect, in retrospect, 
I think she should retire. Um, you know, but if she, <laughs> it's up to her. It's not up to me. It's up to her, or it's up to the voters to to of her district to find um, to uh, to if they want her to continue as Speaker of the House uh, once the uh, Republicans are out. about it and get it all out. You too? Yeah, uh, was it exactly? No, can you make fun of the effects of aging in, in real life? Yeah, you can make fun of it. I mean, sometimes you have, yeah, you can. Um, it's, it's. I'm Keith Olbermann and this is The Resistance. I'm confident now, even more so than I have been throughout the last year, that this nightmare presidency of Donald John Trump will end prematurely and end soon, and I am thus also confident that this is the correct moment to end this series of commentaries. The important stuff first. There are seven routes in front of Trump. Each inevitably ends in his impeachment or resignation. The first, the likeliest, became a thousand times more likely with the Thanksgiving news of a possible deal between Robert Mueller and General Michael Flynn. As I reported here as long ago as April 4th, the most specifically qualified expert alive on the subject of prosecuting a president, my friend, the Nixon White House counsel John Dean, put it to me very simply. Mueller is not shooting down. 
Mueller does not make a deal with Flynn to get Paul Manafort. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Jared Kushner. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Trump Jr. Mueller makes a deal with Flynn to get Donald Trump. Period. The Flynn deal report suggests Mueller has completely assembled the backbone of his case and is now just hanging the meat from it. And just as importantly, if Flynn has merely considered a deal from Mueller, it almost necessarily means Flynn either doesn't believe he would get a pardon from Trump or that Mueller, as I've also reported here, has succeeded in finding a way around Trump's pardon power. And either of these near certainties spell Trump's doom. So that's the most obvious of the seven ways for Trump to go now. Mueller really will get him on Russia. It will be ugly and it will tear this country nearly apart, but it will be necessary. The second way is, as I've also repeatedly suggested here, that Mueller doesn't really need to prove anything about Trump and Russian sabotage of the election. There seems to be so much obstruction of justice from the firing of James Comey to the lies about Trump Jr.'s meetings with the Russians, that it's hard to pick out a key player in the Trump inner circle who could not be guilty of it. Trump could be impeached on just obstruction of justice and a few lesser charges. Nixon was about to be. Or there is a third way. We could be spared the trauma of a Russia impeachment or an obstruction of justice impeachment, as we were spared it with Nixon, if Trump is smart or just sufficiently scared enough and he resigns, or if he isn't, those around him who could still sell themselves by selling him out will force him to resign. A modified version of this, of course, is the fourth possible outcome, that even if Mueller is months away from his denouement, the Republicans will impeach or remove Trump by spring purely to save their own asses. The state elections in Virginia and Oklahoma earlier this month show what could face Republican incumbents nationwide next November. Not only were Democratic victories overwhelming, but half of them were little morality plays. The 26-year-old lesbian beats the Republican in the district Trump won by nearly 40 points a year ago. The transgendered candidate in Virginia beats the guy who wrote an anti-equality bathroom bill. The boyfriend of a news reporter shot to death on camera beats the Republican pro-NRA candidate. I'll say it again. Richard Nixon was not forced out of office by Democrats, not really even by Watergate. Democrats controlled the Senate and the House every day Richard Nixon was president. They could have impeached him at any point. He resigned when the leading Republicans yeah. went into the White House and told him that not only would he be impeached and convicted, but he would take all of them down with him and they were not going to let him do that. So that's the fourth way out. Trump becomes more of an albatross to Republicans and more importantly more of a rallying cry to Democrats and the Republicans remove him before the midterms and then boastfully run for re-election on having removed him. The fifth endgame is the same thing only faster. The Republicans around him pull off that palace coup that is perfectly legal under the 25th Amendment and Mike Pence and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell eject Trump by simply stating he is unfit and getting their majorities to agree he's unfit. And if you don't think Pence and Ryan and McConnell would do that, you didn't see Trump's crazy tweet about the Man of the Year Award or this thing in front of the Native Americans on Monday, and you don't know Pence and Ryan and McConnell. The sixth means by which Trump leaves early is, of course, that if the Republicans don't impeach Trump before the midterms, the Democrats will be able to after the midterms. If Virginia and New Jersey and Oklahoma are indicators, the Democrats could take the House 
and might need as few as 25 vulnerable Republicans in the Senate to vote guilty to remove Trump from office. But now there is a seventh new path to destruction for Trump, and it has bubbled up from the sewer of his life recently. And even with how Teflon he has been on this particular subject, it seems hard to believe the dam won't break. His sexual conduct, as not one snowball, but a decade's worth of them, have come down that hill, wiping out all the sleaze bags and emboldening and empowering the victims. It seems impossible to believe that some claimant somewhere does not have tangible evidence against Trump, and that they won't say, to hell with it and break one of those non-disclosure agreements, and Trump will suddenly be envying Harvey Weinstein. Trump himself inadvertently has hinted at this. The New York Times buried the lead on this over the weekend, but it reported that earlier this year, Trump told a senator that the Access Hollywood pussy grabber tape was a fake. And he has said the same thing again recently to a White House staffer. He's obviously trying to work the refs of public opinion in advance for whatever is coming next. From a woman here, or from Russia. So, I don't see any way out for Trump. Seven freight trains rushing at him. He might avoid a few. He might avoid six of them. He's not going to dance his way out from under all seven. And we, I think, should try to put ourselves in the mindset of those Americans who knew Richard Nixon was guilty as hell after John Dean finished testifying on June 27, 1973. But we're all left wondering if there would ever be a way to prove it. And we're left listening to a majority of the country saying Dean was lying and left watching nearly the entirety of the gullible news media saying this was nonsense. Why would a president, even one as crazy as Nixon, ever do this? And more importantly, even if he were somehow guilty, how would he ever be dumb enough to leave any evidence of his guilt? And 16 days later, it turned out Virtually everything in the Oval Office had been taped, and the ballgame was over, even though it would last another 13 months. Well, this ballgame is also over, and I don't think it's going to last another 13 months. And so this series is over. This was intended as... Thank you, Keith. Thank you. United States has lost its global standing amongst other countries uh, to levels even lower than they were dur during the George W. Bush administration. Now, since that one poll came out, several other global polls have been released confirming that yes, around the globe, the United States image has fallen to about 30% approval rating and trust rating. Uh, comments calling African countries what he called them, asshole countries, saying that he would prefer immigrants from Norway, saying we have enough Haitians in the country. Well, what's your response? Disgraceful, disgusting. He just continues to hurt the prestige of the United States of America. Many people, from, folks from those countries, serve in our military today. They're wearing the cloth of our country, fighting for our nation. He's put our soldiers in harm around the globe. We have many folks uh, deployed in very dangerous situations, including my son. You know, everybody in the military in very hot spot regions, they hear the president of the United States making these comments. It puts them in harm's way. It puts our diplomats around the globe in harm's way. He is the president of the United States of America. That comes with responsibility of moral leadership. You are the beacon of hope for so many countries around the globe. He embarrasses us. So Childish, embarrassing. You're taught not to treat people that way, but to refer to all of these countries who we do trade with, we do a lot of business with, as I say, folks from those countries are wearing the cloth of our country, fighting for yeah. us. He's an embarrassment. So after the Charlottesville um, 
horror, which took place while you were governor. Yeah. Um, and the president said there were very fine people on both sides, including marching with Nazis. Yeah. Um, you criticized him for, quote, dividing people. But I wonder if you feel even stronger than that. Do you think President Trump is a racist? I certainly think he makes racist comments. In Charlottesville, he should have done the right yeah, thing. I talked I to him do. in the afternoon, explained to him what had happened at Charlottesville. This, they, these were both sides. We had neo-Nazis wearing swastikas and T-shirts of Adolf Hitler. We had white supremacists saying the most vile things about African-Americans and members of the Jewish faith. It wasn't both sides. The other side was there to protest against hatred. Heather Heyer, 32 years old, lost her life in downtown Charlottesville protesting against hatred. I lost two state troopers that day. This was not both sides. It was one side. And the president continuously gets it wrong. And he comes down on the wrong side of justice, on equality, and fairness. And he continually disparages individuals. He mocks people. He mocks individuals, disparages gold star mothers. He's got to understand this is a grown-up job, and he's got to start acting like it. On Friday, the president rejected a deal from the so-called Senate Gang of Six. Take a look at what he tweeted about the agreement. Quote, the so-called bipartisan DACA deal presented yesterday to myself and a group of Republican senators and congressmen was a big step backwards. Wall was not properly funded. Chain and lottery were made worse. And USA would be forced to take large numbers of people from high-crime countries, which are doing badly. I want a merit-based system of immigration and people who will help take our country to the next level. Now, there are roughly 12,000 DREAMers. In your, in your home commonwealth of Virginia, uh, the recipients of this program, DACA, should Democrats make the deal with the president, give him money for the border wall, make some changes to the immigration system in order to help the roughly, I think it's like 600,000 nationally and 14,000 in Virginia dreamers? First of all, Jake, we are there. This, first of all, this is the president's fault. You have vast agreement between the Democrats and the Republicans. If you put a bill up Tuesday, they would vote for it. It would overwhelmingly pass. 85% of Americans support it. 79% of Republicans in the United States of America support this. So the votes are there to do it. Put the bill up, sensible border protections, and protect uh, the DACA folks. You know, since this but no in, larger changes to immigration, chain migration, or lottery. Not, yeah, that and, would not be part of the deal that you're talking about. Yeah, and let's be very careful. These are all poll-tested, you know, merit-based. We want the best and brightest to come here. Chain migration, what does that mean? Well, it means you get to bring a spouse, a child, or a parent here. So, you know, they're doing their poll-tested. We want fair immigration in this country. We want to protect, of course, our borders. We all want to do that. But a vast majority of Americans are for this. They want to see it get done. And this is the president. And the president wants it. He said to Diane Feinstein in the meeting in the White House the other day. She asked for a clean bill. He said, yeah, I want it. Then Kevin McCarthy had to say, oh, no, Mr. President, you really don't know what you're talking about. That, 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 that. He wants it. He is being run by Stephen Miller. The pre- what does the president want? He wants a deal to announce, and he wants his approval ratings to go up. Well, when 90% of Americans support the program, you have a deal with Democrats and Republicans today. 34 Republicans in the House have signed a letter they'll support this. Let's just get it done because we've already lost 15,000. We're losing 120 dreamers a day. And if we don't do this on March 6, it goes to 1,200 per day. Well, when you say li- losing them, they're not, they're not being deported from Losing the their work permits. Their work permits. But the process then begins. They lose their work permit. And here's the problem. If we delay this after this Friday, you know, USCIS, you know, it takes 60 to 90 days on these application process. And once you get to March 6, then, as I say, you're losing 1,200 a day. You're looking at 35,000 dreamers per month. That could be over 100,000 by the time actually take. Stop the politics. Democrats want it. Republicans want it. Bring a bill up on Tuesday. Sensible border protections. 
and protect the dreamers. The head of the Center for American Progress Action Fund, a progressive group, put out a memo saying, quote, the fight to protect dreamers is not only a moral imperative, it is also a critical component of the Democratic Party's future electoral success. In addition to being the former governor of Virginia, you're the former leader of the Democratic National Party. For Democrats, which is the bigger risk politically, just the politics of it, not doing everything they can to make a deal to protect the dreamers, including things they don't like, some changes to immigration, uh, border wall money, yeah. or uh, doing everything they can um, to... Junior Show has now arrived.
things that I'm proud. I'm proud of each and every student who walked out of their classroom to raise their voice and demand change. And I've said this several times. The Republicans, uh, they are going to be reeling uh, in these upcoming elections when these folks, these students who are turning 18, they're old enough to vote, and these students will vote their asses out in a few months. They're going to be reeling. I mean, I think the Republicans, when they, when they screwed with these young people, they made a big mistake. You know, uh, these young people, uh, they're going to be graduating. They're going to turn 18, but they're not already 18. And they're going to be voting these guys out, these guys and girls out, who will not, who will not protect them from gun violence, who will not do anything about gun violence. And that's bad. And um, I, you have to be proud of them, too. You have to be proud of my son was one of these kids who walked out of the classroom to protect protest, excuse me, to protest uh, and raise their voices and demand change. He was among the crowd. He's 18. He's a senior uh, in class and he he will be voting. Uh, and like so many other young people around America, they will be voting. And the Republicans have really, really stepped in at this time. They have really stepped in it. You've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. Here we go. Now lay me down 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.